Hi, I'm Steve Goldstein, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. The system is approaching a tipping point, and without action, we cannot protect the system and the millions of Americans who rely on this critical resource. No one outside of Arizona understands what it takes to achieve a reduction of the magnitude that we have done in Arizona. So it's very frustrating for us, for other folks in other states and other jurisdictions that say, we can't possibly do it. Yes, you can. We've demonstrated that it's doable. It's painful, but when you are facing this type of situation, you have to do what's necessary. Today, we're taking additional action to ensure that every Arizona student can attend any school of their choosing. The legislation before us today is the most expansive school choice initiative in the nation. There's a cadre of people who desperately want us to fail, and quite frankly, treat us with a level of hate and contempt that is inhumane. They do this not because of any factual-driven analysis. They do this simply because we're election workers. And with us to talk about water cutbacks coming to Arizona, how much of a campaign issue that could be, threats to Stephen Richer and other election workers, and more, are Julie Earthley of Earthley Uncuffed. Julie, good morning. Good morning. And Paul Bentz of High Ground. Paul, good morning to you. Good morning to you. Now, Paul, because you are the issues pollster, I'm going to go to you first on this one, because Mark and I were talking briefly off the air yesterday, and he said, there's just no chance of this. There's no chance of bipartisanship when it comes to water. So I'm, going to, I'm not going to start with that question. Then I will start with this. Because of the cutbacks that are coming to Arizona, this is a real thing now with the Colorado River, are we going to hear that as a campaign issue in this general election? And if not, why not? Well, we should. Uh, Water has consistently been one of the top issues facing the state. It's been trending upwards to the top three, slightly behind immigration and education, but it's been rising uh, quite rapidly since we added it a few years ago to our polling. And then recently in the work we did for the Center for the Future of Arizona on the Arizona voters agenda, we found that 95% of likely voters wanted to preserve Arizona's water future and 96% percent of voters, and this is Republicans, Democrats, unaffiliated, cared about protecting Arizona's rivers and natural areas. And so water should be an issue. It's something I've been shouting from the rooftops for a while. Voters very much care about it and want to hear about it. I'm not sure any campaign is going to take us up on that offer, but they really should. Yeah, Julie, obviously on this program, and we're always glad when you join us, and and we talk so much about 2020 and election workers. And obviously, we're going to have to talk about that again today at some point as well. But water is one of those things that, I mean, obviously, this is not hyperbole, is the lifeblood of this area. So do you think we will hear about it? And if not, why not? I do think that we'll hear about it. And in fact, I think we're hearing about it in races that maybe are a little unexpected. Um, For instance, just this week, Attorney General candidate Chris Mays talked about a story that was in the news, the fact that we have a Saudi Arabian company that is uh, farming alfalfa in rural Arizona, and they are using groundwater, they are using Arizona groundwater for free. And, and uh, apparently have a limitless supply of that water. They are also getting use of the land for what can only be called peanuts. You know, they're, they're paying almost nothing for it, especially in comparison to what other farmers in Arizona would have to pay to have that same access to state lands. And so what she has been talking about is how she does want to make water and climate change an issue in that campaign and how her role as AG could actually be to 
look at this and prosecute it as part of going against the Arizona gift clause. So I, I think you are seeing candidates who are talking about it, even um even Carrie Lake said not that long ago that water was going to be a huge issue in the campaign. So I actually believe that they are going to discuss it. I think if we have debates, um, we're going to definitely hear moderators bring it up. And so these candidates do need to be prepared to talk about how they're going to address this issue. Paul, let me ask you about something you just mentioned about how, you know, 90 plus percent of Arizona voters want to be dealing with this issue, want to preserve uh, rivers, lakes, things like that. Is there any measure of agreement among the different parties, among voters, of how exactly to do that? Like, is this the kind of issue where, for example, Katie Hobbs and Carrie Lake can can both talk about water, but in very different ways? Or, you know, are, are voters saying, look, this is what we need to do. And if candidates aren't OK with that, maybe they're not going to get our support. Well, I, I think one of the things to bear in mind is that there's there's several things that are very popular. Water conservation, for example, is much more popular than uh, bringing additional water into the state. But when you look at that, conservation is not as high on the list for a priority for Republicans. Um, but w- what we're really talking about here is voters are acutely aware that we have a challenge facing water and they want to do something about it. The 1980 water ground, not 1980 Groundwater Act was a bipartisan effort. The drought contingency plan was a bipartisan effort. The latest uh, nearly billion dollars for water that was passed in the le- latest legislative session was actually a bipartisan effort as well. What will actually need to happen is these folks will need to come together um, to address the issue. But Julie brought up something that's a critical point to bring up, and that is that fact that significant portions of rural Arizona can have groundwater pumped without any measurement and without any sort of um, reason. And these, the, we see wells in Southern Arizona going dry, farmers who have farmed that their land for generations suddenly because some big industrial farmer comes in, um, sinks a d- deeper well, and suddenly they're go- running out of water. That's an issue that needs to be addressed immediately. And it would be important for the candidates to share their plans for those issues. Well, Julie, that's been an issue that some in the legislature, including some Republicans in the legislature, have been trying to address for some time now, not successfully. Would you imagine that maybe in in races for legislative candidates, for example, from some of those areas, maybe even some of the statewide races, does that part of it become an issue? I think it definitely could, um, and it should, because I do believe that voters are concerned about it. I don't know if they understand the difference uh, in groundwater management terms and the fact that, as Paul noted, we don't have some of those same policies, especially in rural Arizona. Uh, But definitely those are issues that these candidates should be talking about. I think there is an opportunity if the legislature decides that they don't want to address it, there's definitely an opportunity from the governor's office. Our next governor should make this part of you know, her policy platform in making sure that we do have some groundwater management policies in place in rural Arizona. That has to be on the table. So I definitely think that there is an opportunity in this next legislative session, so long as we have legislators who understand the importance of it, so long as they are being pressured by their constituents, and so long as we have a governor in place who makes it a priority. Paul, let me play off that and talk about leadership and experience. Those don't always have to go together, certainly, but when it comes down to the differences we're going to see in the legislature and some of the Republican candidates, um, certainly in the case of Carrie Lake, she just doesn't have any government experience, which some people may think that's fine and some people may not. 
But then Mark Fincham, of course, is in the position he is in. Uh, Julie mentioned Chris May is running for attorney general, has has governmental experience. Is that going to factor in in terms of whether people can come together, as Mark mentions, on this this vital issue, this this fact that people are going to have to you're going to have to see Republicans and Democrats working together. To what extent are we going to need that to be people who have been through the political wars before, or is that just not significant here? I think experience is is significant, and it, it lets people make their own decisions. When you don't have the experience, you have to look at who they're going to listen to on these issues, or who potentially is writing their current policy on, say, their website or the things that they're putting out. And it certainly looks to me like um, that Lake is listening to some of the intransigent forces who have not had any desire to make any movement or progress on water issues in the last few years. You guys mentioned that there have been folks trying to move meaningful legislation on managing rural groundwater and other items, and they've been blocked at every turn by a certain amount of forces, particularly in the farming and ranching community. And I think if you look at a lot of the policies that Lake has espoused so far, it certainly seems to come out of their playbook. So with the folks that don't have experience on a complicated issue like water, we have to look at who they're likely to listen to. And I think that's going to be the most instructive part. Well, and Julie, kind of along those lines, I mean, water is one of those issues that it's complicated. There's a lot to it. There's a lot of legalese to it. It's not, you know, it's not an easy issue to understand. It doesn't make for a great bumper sticker like some of the other <laughs> issues that, you know, that candidates are talking about. Is there a risk that maybe candidates won't end up talking about it? Like they'll they'll give it some lip service. Maybe they'll t- have a policy paper on their website or something. But like when it comes to like the top issues they're talking about, that won't be one of them. Well, yeah, I I mean, definitely, I think some candidates are just avoiding it already. I mean, we didn't have a response, for instance, when Chris Mays went out and talked about what was happening in rural Arizona with the Saudi company. The response from her opponent was that, you know, she was this radical woke leftist professor. So that's not really a response. Um, But I do think that these candidates are going to be forced to answer some of those questions in debates. And they if they're not working on policy right now, they they certainly should be, and they're going to have to come up with something. Um, it's not on just these candidates to have that information, though. As you know, as Paul said, there are people that they can listen to. There are experts in the state um, who are not politicians who deal with water policy every single day and have been talking about this and have been quoted in you know with reporters and so forth, they know what's going on. They've been around for a long time. Arizona has actually led on this issue. And I believe that we have the opportunity to lead again if we listen to the folks who understand what's going on. And so there there has to be a willingness from these candidates to listen to those folks and then to put that information into action. And, and I think that they're going to be challenged, like I said, in this election, in this general election, not not just by constituents, but by debate moderators. And I hope that they are willing to take that challenge. That's Julie Earfley. Also with us is Paul Bentz. With Mark Brody in Phoenix, I'm Steve Goldstein. In the midst of the Friday Newscap, Paul, let's start off with uh, Stephen Richer. And uh, the Department of Justice indicted a Missouri man who threatened him for not supporting the 2020 so-called audit. And what was most interesting to a lot of us was that Richer called out Senate President Karen Fan. What did you make of that? 
Well, first of all, I think it's important to note that the Missouri man said, quote, you will never make it to your next board meeting. I mean, that's a end quote. That's a pretty blatant threat. So and it's good that people are taking action against these individuals who are willing to say whatever with what they believe is going to be no implications and no punishments for it. So I, I'm in that way, all of our elected officials, many of, of whom are friends of mine, they don't deserve that type of treatment for simply doing their job. And what it comes down to, what Richard is talking about is true, this fanning the flames of this misinformation and using it for their own purposes, either to build their base and get applause at their meetings, or quite frankly, for fundraising. A lot of this misinformation and audit efforts were done um, on a national level, spread around the country in order to try to bring more money into the state for funds for the audit, funds for some of their campaign efforts, funds for their PAC. And it, this is really sort of coming home to roost. We see that they've done this in a way for their own interest, but now it's really um, it's got out of control. Julie, was it notable to you that Richard, like, it seemingly kind of went out of his way to call out Senate President Karen Fan on this? Yeah, I, I understand where he's coming from, and I think she definitely bears a lot of responsibility in this. I, I think the reason he may have called her out is because the sense that I get from listening to him and from other members, especially on the Board of Supervisors, Republican members of the Board of Supervisors, is that they were somewhat shocked that Karen Fan would go to the extremes that she did during this, you know, partisan fraud it. And, and so I think that there's a sense of feeling betrayed by her, but at the end of the day, it's not, it really isn't just Karen Fan. I mean, this has become an activity of the Republican party in general. And if you look at the candidates who are running for statewide office, the folks who won, who are representing the Republican party in the general election, every one of them, has decried the 2020 election and they are running on a platform of trying to decertify. They're running on a platform of basically the big lie. That's, you know, front and center in what they're talking about. And so there, you know, unfortunately is a lot of blame to go around. I think the fact that he singled out fan may have had something to do with just feeling so, um, betrayed, especially because she ran the audit or, you know, made sure that the audit happened. And that sort certainly kept the big lie in the news, especially in Arizona. But there's definitely a lot of blame to go around, especially just with the party. Paul, one of the other points that that Stephen Richer made was that this was not the only threat that was made. And he is not the only election official to whom threats have been made. This is I, I suspect the answer to this question is going to be a bit depressing. But is there any reason to think that this indictment will maybe stop some of this and, and the abuse that election officials here across Arizona and frankly around the country are getting might actually stop? Well, one thing I want to go back to is certainly there's no love lost between the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors and elected officials and Senator Fan. Uh, she certainly had multiple opportunities to shut down the audit or tamp down some of the discussion, and she didn't do it. There are several off ramps that she could have taken to shut this thing down and never chose to do so. Certainly, that's I believe part of their ire. But no, I, I mean, like these keyboard warriors, these individuals who think that they can fire off emails into the abyss and they mean nothing. I mean, you go to these other social media sites when people get kicked off of Twitter and you see the types of things that they're talking about. Uh, you see some of these uh, far right populist 
individuals who go on their video and are willing to say terrible anti-Semitic and um, racist and other things. They, they seem to be not limited by any sort of decorum when it comes to these items. So, no, they probably those folks probably just think that this is just another conspiracy. And now that the government's involved in it, just like raiding Mar-a-Lago, that this is just all you know fraud to perpetuate their the big lie that they tend to believe in. Julie, moving on to a different topic, but lack of decorum stands out, is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis came to rally with uh, Carrie Lake and Mark Fincham. And I will not say what these initials stand for, but (laughs) the initials BDE were thrown out by Carrie Lake, which is a very crass term. And it just just made me wonder about um, what sort of campaign this is going to be. And uh, I guess Ron DeSantis is trying to be anointed as the next Donald Trump, but a little bit milder. What did you make of just that event overall and what it means for the Arizona campaign? Well, I wasn't shocked by Lake throwing that out. I think we've already seen that this entire campaign is just in the gutter and there's, it's really just a bunch of name calling. If you look at what's happening from the Republican Party as well and the things that they're talking about. I mean, they made an accusation just this week at Kathy Hoffman calling her a groomer, which is just, I mean, that is just ridiculous and just abhorrent. And so I I think that unfortunately, that's where we're at with these campaigns. I think it will turn off voters, um, although it may motivate other voters to say, listen, enough is enough. We just cannot tolerate this. Even if this individual is a, a part of a party that I have belonged to for really long, I'm not going to deal with this anymore and I'm going to vote for the other side. Um, So I think that, you know, may play into all of this. DeSantis, though, I thought that was really interesting that he came to town. And I wonder a little bit if that wasn't almost geared more towards Governor Ducey, because there's been lots of rumors that Ducey is considering a presidential run. And the fact that he endorsed candidates who did not win in the primary. And now you have DeSantis, who we all know is looking at a presidential run, come to Arizona and stand on stage with the candidates that did win. And maybe he's trying to shore up support here in Arizona for a future presidential run. Paul, weigh in on that. Is it possible that uh, the DeSantis was throwing down on Ducey because we're not uh, we're not certainly thinking of them in the same stratosphere at this point? I certainly think that's a little bit part of it on DeSantis's part is to try to uh, establish a foothold, make some more connections in Arizona, especially since he saw Pence was here and whether or not Pence's chosen candidate of Karen Taylor Robeson. One, certainly Pence has been to the border. He's done a couple of different things with Governor Ducey. And so it is a shot across the bow for DeSantis to come to town. Uh, Bob Robb, I think he hit the nail on the head today that this is in his latest political notebook, that this is an effort to build that base turnout and encourage and enthuse their base. But um, I don't think it's necessarily enough. I don't think just getting the base voters will be enough. No single party can win statewide office with just their base. They need to appeal to independent and unaffiliated voters. And I don't think DeSantis does that. I don't think DeSantis necessarily brings any sort of additional credibility to that audience. It seems to me that Lake in particular um, it seems to be doubling down on what she's doing and on the outrage regarding the elections and calling herself Trump in address. It's a pretty, uh, when you compare that to what Masters has done, and Masters seems to be pivoting on some stuff, it's really, they are definitely taking two different routes towards the general election. Well, Paul, along those lines, we saw this week that a group called the Republican Accountability Pack is going to spend about $2 million against Carrie Lake, basically saying that she is should not be the, the governor. 
I'm wondering, like, is it a different message to try to get Republicans to vote for Katie Hobbs or against Carrie Lake versus trying to convince Republicans to vote for Joe Biden or against Donald Trump two years ago? Well, it really comes down to how effective they use that $2 million. A lot of the messaging that they've done in the past is very outrage-based, and I'm not 100% sure that's going to work. What we actually are finding is just sort of the anti-Trump sentiment is not as effective as talking about specific policies. Voters vehemently oppose banning early voting. Voters vehemently oppose the notion that the legislature would be able to overturn our elections if they don't agree with the results. That's the type of things that they should be talking about instead of making this entire election about Trump. I think they can peel off a portion of Republicans, but I I hope their messaging is also aimed at talking about like, look, independent voters who tend to trend to be more conservative, or if you default between a Republican and a Democrat, you would often opt for the Republican. This is why you shouldn't do it in this cycle. That's where they probably would have the most effect. Julie, just a a little less than a minute to go, but I want to get your take on this as well in terms of trying to just make Kerry Lake seem so unappealing to Republicans versus maybe talking about some of the issues that Republicans might support that Kerry Lake does not support. Well, I agree with Paul. I think that that's the the way to to pull some Republicans away is to not talk, not focus specifically on the fact that Carrie Lake has is very extreme in her positions, but on the fact that she is on the opposite side of where a lot of Republicans are on issues like voting and like the fact that voters do want their vote to matter and they don't want to be overruled by the legislature. So I would agree with that. Um, I, I think it's also... I think it's also interesting, though, that this pack is going to make the big lie central in this campaign. And I I understand why they're doing it, because Arizona, as we know, could really come into play in 2024. If Trump is on the ticket and he has a group of Arizonans in statewide office who are willing to delay certification, refuse to certify should he lose, that does put us in a constitutional crisis. So I do think that that as well is an important issue that voters should understand. Okay. Julie Erfley of Erfley Uncuffed, Paul Bentz of High Ground. Thank you both. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's big stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at the show at kjzz.org. I'm Steve Goldstein, and thanks for listening. <music>